We've been doing the Luke travel narrative, and last time we did prayer, and I said that in the past, I've just skipped through here and done the parables. This time I'm going to do something a little more thorough. So what I want to do is signs of the present kingdom and signs of the kingdom yet to come. What I'll suggest to you is that he's talking about the kingdom of God as he finds it. The stuff in Luke 11, 14 through 32 is what he sees. And then when we get to Luke 17, 11 through 37, what he's going to talk about is what's going to come. So that's your balance, if you will. And the important thing is to hear and guard the word of God. And I will suggest that what he is implicitly saying is the problems with the generation he's dealing with stem from not guarding the word of God. So with that, let's jump in. Let's start at Luke 11:14. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. But some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of the demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. This also shows up in Matthew chapter 12, at the end of chapter 12. Same incident. And as I said when we were teaching the parables in Matthew, this is the incident that causes Yeshua to go from speaking plainly to speaking in parables. And the parables in Luke, mostly instructive parables, whereas the parables in Matthew are kingdom parables, and they are designed not to be understood by the people who hear them. But this is sort of a watershed event in his ministry, because before that he speaks plainly, after that he speaks in parables and riddles. And the Matthew version of this talks about blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, where when they give credit to Beelzebul for the things that he does, in Matthew he talks about, you can say bad things about me all you want, but you can't blaspheme the Holy Spirit because that's not forgivable. That particular phrase does not show up in the Luke version. It only shows up in the Matthew version. So, down on to verse 17. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. So we're talking in context of the kingdom as he finds it. And what he's going to be talking about is two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God, and there's the kingdom of Satan. So the parable here is talking in terms of a divided kingdom not being strong. So verse 18, and if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, but if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? The idea there is he is not the only one who can cast out demons. So Jewish believers are also able to cast out demons. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. That's, I think, a key phrase. Because what you see is we're going to have your sons will judge you and then we're going to have the queen of the south is going to judge them and the men of Nineveh are going to judge them. So you have this repeated theme of judgment for those who are not with him in the kingdom. Verse 20, but if it is by the finger of God 
that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So cast out a demon. They give credit to Beelzebul. He says that if Beelzebul is casting out his own, Satan's kingdom will be divided, and that any divided kingdom cannot stand against itself. So now we're going to switch, and we're going to talk about guarding the kingdom. So now we have the riff on the strong man. Verse 21, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he had trusted and divides his spoil. And then whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So I will suggest that this idea of a strong man guarding the kingdom is in context the people who are supposed to be guarding the kingdom of God are not doing that, first off, and that Satan is guarding his kingdom, second off. And then we have this, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And I will suggest to you that that is going to match up with the lamp on a stand as opposed to being in a cellar or in a bushel. Because the idea of gathering and scattering, what's the purpose of the lampstand down in verse 33? Where he goes into, no one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand. And the idea there is that the light is for someone else. It's for the benefit of others. And I will suggest to you that matches those who do not gather are scattering. He's talking right now to the Pharisees, and they are the nominal leaders of Israel. So in a sense, he's talking, if you will, to the shepherds and telling them that you are not guarding the kingdom. But if you remember when we were going through Isaiah, one of the things that God makes very clear is that each of us is also individually responsible. We should be able to figure this out as individuals without necessarily having to resort to someone teaching us. One of the things Paul says, everybody just looking around should be able to realize that there's a creator. So the idea that there are people out there who do not want to acknowledge God and do not want to know, and they will come up with very plausible sounding stories that give an alternative explanation to God. And I will suggest that such people are willfully ignorant. And so what God says back in Isaiah, when we went through that, I'm sorry, Jeremiah, not Isaiah, Jeremiah, is that at some level, everybody can perceive the truth. Now, you may not be a theologian, but you don't have to be. What you have to do is recognize that there is a God and give him glory for what he has done. At that point, he will lead you along and feed you more information. But ultimately, everyone's salvation is his own responsibility. So now we're all the way down to verse 24. It says, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless spaces, seeking rest, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. 
and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So we're talking in the context of casting out demons. And in between, we have this riff on the defense of the house. So the inference I draw from that is in the second case where a demon has been cast out and goes to the dry places, the house has been left undefended, which is why the demon gets to come back in and bring all his friends. What a demon does is it comes alongside of you and it pushes you in a direction you already want to go. In other words, all of us are born with personality flaws. That's just the way we are. Some of us are prone to pride, some of us are prone to lust, some of us are prone to anger, some of us are prone to fear, etc., etc., etc. So we all have predilections. For example, if you're not predisposed to lust, a spirit of lust isn't going to be interesting to you. But if you are, then a spirit of lust will come alongside of you and just start moving you in that direction, taking you way farther than you would normally want to go. That's what a demon does. So if it's already pushing you in a direction you want to go, you very well may not want to get rid of it because it's telling you something you want to hear. That's their power. What we've got then is casting out a demon, talking about defending the house, and what happens when the house is not defended. In the context of the present kingdom, Yeshua is talking about the kingdom that he sees what he's found when he's come there. And what he's found is a place that operates with lots of demons and is under the influence of Satan. So this whole first part of the riff involves him casting one out and then talking about defense. And he's saying what happens if having cast out a demon, you don't then defend yourself. This first part has to do with unclean spirits. Now we go into verse 27. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And in Hebrew, the word keep and the word guard are the same thing. Notice it doesn't say obey. What it says is keep it and guard it. Now, implicit in keeping and guarding it is the fact that you pay attention to it, which means that you would obey it. But that's not exactly what he says. He says that you keep it and hold on to it as an anchor, if you will, or as a shield. The second half of that is you have the spiritual conflict, and as a result of that, you have an evil generation which is now seeking a sign. I'm down to verse 29. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah. What's the sign of Jonah? The sign of Jonah is Jonah walked through Nineveh and said, Repent, 40 days. Nineveh repented, and God relented from the destruction. That's the sign. Now, the fact that he got swallowed up by a fish and all that kind of stuff makes the story really entertaining, but that's not the sign we're talking about. We're not talking about him raising in three days. We're talking about a pagan nation paying attention to the warning of a prophet. Jonah is the sign for Nineveh. He's the prophet that goes into Nineveh and says, repent. Yeshua is the sign for the present generation. 
And John the Baptist is the sign for the present generation because he's going into the nation Israel and saying, repent. And as I say, the fact that you know, we did this detour through a fish makes the story good, but that's not the sign, I don't think. This is not talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Yeshua. This is talking about his acting as a prophet in the nation Israel and telling them to repent. So this generation is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, now notice the people of Nineveh were not privy to the fact that he had just been processed through a fish. All they knew is that he showed up at the gate and started walking through town and saying, repent. We're the only ones that are privy to the fish business. Nineveh doesn't know that. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Jonah's assigned to Nineveh. I am assigned to this generation. Yeshua saying, speaking. 31. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So you have two pagan nations. You have Nineveh and you have Sheba, both of whom listened to the word of God, one at the hand of Jonah and the other at the hand of Solomon. And what he's saying to them is, you guys have got someone greater than those, which is to say himself. Verse 32, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So you have the queen of Sheba, who came and listened to Solomon, and something greater than Solomon is here. You have the men of Nineveh that repented, and something greater than Jonah is here. And notice we have in both cases that these people will rise up in judgment at the end of this generation. Now go back up to where we're talking about the casting out of demons. Your sons will judge you. So what he's saying is, these people are going to be judged by their own sons, by the men of Nineveh, and by the queen of Sheba. So you have pagans who heard a prophet, you have a pagan ruler who came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and then you have Jews, believing Jews who follow after that generation. And all three of those are going to rise up to judge the wicked generation because they're not paying any attention to Yeshua. So now we come down to verse 33, which I am suggesting to you is going to match with being full of light and who does not gather with me scatters. I'm going to suggest that those are speaking of the same subject. So when we talked about the kingdom not being guarded, the strong man, if he's deposed, and so forth. It says at the end of that, who doesn't gather with me scatters. So I'm going to suggest to you that the equivalent is this riff on being full of light. And I'll explain what I mean as we go through it. So now we're down to verse 33. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Now notice that the light here is not primarily or even necessarily for the one who kindles it. It's for those who enter, whoever they are. 
Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its ray gives out light. So what I will suggest to you is that in this context, the light that we're talking about is not for you. Remember in Musar, where you've got the 13 Midot, and up at the top you've got the light of God, and down below you have other people. And the idea is that you can block God's light flowing through you. If your personality is such that nobody will listen to you, then they will not see God through you, or they will see a distorted image of God through you. So the idea here is that the light of God should be passing through you. And it starts off with the lamp that nobody puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but you put it up on a stand so everybody around you can see it. So what I'm suggesting to you is that is letting the word of God pass through you so that other people can perceive it. And so what I'm suggesting to you when I say that it matches where Yeshua says, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So gather what? People to the kingdom. Gather people to the kingdom. And if you're not working with God to gather people to the kingdom, then you're scattering. And what I'm saying to you is that correlates down here with the light of God shining through you. So now what we're going to do is we're going to go to the future kingdom, and that's in Luke 17:11, And it's divided into two parts. One is a public discourse, and the other is a private discourse. So the first part of it, where you have the lepers cleansed, and the Pharisees and the people asking for a sign, is set out in public. And then, when you get down to verse 22, he said to his disciples, so that's a private discourse. So, verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance, and lifted up their voices, saying, Yeshua, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face in Yeshua's feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Yeshua answered, We're not ten cleansed, where are the nine? There was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner. And he said to him, Rise, go on your way, your faith has made you well. What I'm going to suggest is this is a sign of the kingdom of God coming into the area. Notice who comes back, the Samaritan. So again, I'm going to suggest that this is a problem with Israel as it is constituted at that time, that having been healed, they don't come back and give thanks. But as I say, the, the idea that Yeshua coming and, and healing people like he does is a a sign, if you will, of the kingdom. So now we go down to verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So he's just healed ten lepers. 
They're asking for a sign. Now, it isn't clear that the Pharisees there were witnesses to this because there could be a disconnect here. But in the literary flow, what's happened is he's healed 10 and they've asked him for a sign. And he's basically saying there aren't going to be any precursors. It's in the midst of you now. 22. Then he said to the disciples, this is private now. This is a private conversation. Then he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. So you notice how this mirrors what he says to the Pharisees. And he's saying to his disciples, don't listen to any of that. 24. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. When the Son of Man comes to reestablish the kingdom, it isn't going to be subtle. It is not going to be with subtle signs that somebody has to interpret. It's going to be something that everybody is going to be able to recognize. So for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first... You must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Notice we have this generation again, which matches this generation as we were talking about in Luke 11. And now we have, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. So in the first one, he has the sign of Jonah. Here he's going to use Noah. So he's referring back to what happened earlier And he's saying it's going to be that way in the future. Verse 27. Actually, let's pick it up at verse 26. But just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So what he's saying is the second coming is going to resemble the flood of Noah, which, by the way, was not subtle. You were either in the ark or you died, but there was no subtlety about it. You You didn't have to have somebody interpret. You could figure it out. And it's the same thing with Sodom. God reached into Sodom, brings light out of it, and again, there was nothing subtle about what happened to Sodom. Verse 30, so it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let one who was on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. And again, he's saying, this is not going to be subtle. You're going to be able to recognize what's happening, and you don't have time to go back and pack a lunch. 32. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. It's been a while since we've been through this. So do you want to be the one that's taken or the one that's left? You want to be the one that's left, not the one that's taken. You want to be left behind. Because where are the ones who are taken going? Where the vultures are. 37. And they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the corpse is, the vultures will gather. So I interpret that to be, Where are you taking them? 
that are taken away. And I interpret that to mean I'm taking them to the place where the vultures will feed. And the ones that are left are the ones that are not vulture chow. Took me a long time to come to this, but I personally have come to the conclusion that the rapture as the Sunday church expects it is not going to happen because there's no pattern for that in scripture. What happens is God sends a Moses in, brings his people out of the way, not out of the earth, but just moves them off to Goshen. They're still in Egypt. And then deals with Egypt and then brings his people out into the wilderness. I don't see him sucking people up into the overhead and we all get to watch Satan and the Jews duke it out. Now, if I'm wrong, you can explain it to me on the way up. But if I'm right, come out to my tent in the wilderness and I'll explain it to you. It'll be what it'll be. I'm not worried about it. I see the pattern as being set forth in Exodus. And in Exodus, what God does is deals with Egypt while his people are still in Egypt. And then brings them out across the Red Sea and takes them into the wilderness. I think that's the pattern. Since God says he's going to do it, there's going to be an exodus that is going to be so great that they're going to forget the last one. So I'm expecting another exodus. And I see that in Revelation. People who believe in the rapture are not stupid. These are not stupid people. And, and they read the Bible and they care about it. I'm just suggesting that they've got that one a little wrong. But I don't think it's life-threatening. But, but actually, I do think it's, it's damaging because what it does is it gives you a mentality of being detached from this world. And so people don't get involved in politics and all those kinds of things, which you should be involved in. Because there's this, well, it's going to hell anyway, and pretty quick I'm going to be taken out, so I'll just cross my arms and sit on my blessed assurance, and I'll be fine. As opposed to getting in there and, and trying to change things, which is what you're supposed to do. Shama